0: If you have your Bibles, open them with me to John chapter 8 and verse 36, please. John chapter 8 and verse 36. Today, I want to talk to you about the prize and revelation of freedom. The prize and revelation of freedom. And uh, so we're obviously celebrating our nation's Independence Day. And independence, uh, that word Independence Day, goes hand in hand with the word freedom. Everyone say freedom. Whether it is, uh, we're talking, whether we're talking about the freedom that comes in a nation, a, for a group of people, for a society, for a culture, uh, we always have to understand that freedom is never free. There is always a price that is paid for freedom. And so we're going to talk a little bit about the price of freedom. And also, we're in this series called Reveal, and we're talking about revelation knowledge. So I want to talk to you about the price and revelation of freedom. John chapter eight and verse thirty six says this. It says, "Therefore, if the sun sets you or makes you free, you shall be free indeed." All right. Therefore, if the sun makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Now, there's that one word in this uh, um, verse, and that that second word is what? If, right? If. That lets us know that there is a possibility that you are set free or there is a possibility that you are not or that you will not be set free, right? If, now... So a lot of times we read this particular verse and when we read it, especially in context of when it was being said in the book of John, we understand that this was said during the earthly ministry of Jesus. And again, he says, if the son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. Now, there are a lot of times that a Christian will say, I am free because of Jesus. And yet, even though we say we are free because of Jesus, there are many areas in our life that when we examine closely or you don't even really have to examine closely, you examine in your own life and you feel like you are no longer you are not free really but that you're actually bound right you don't feel like you are actually free but you actually feel like you are your your hands are handcuffed to one another there or you are in a prison and you're not able to break forth out of the prison there is no real freedom that is being experienced So the question is, what does this verse actually mean and how does this really come to pass in our lives or how do we really experience this in our everyday life? Go with me to Colossians chapter one, please. Again, many Christians do believe the price for our freedom has been paid by Jesus. But the question is, if the price has been paid, why are so many Christians still bound? If the price has been paid, why are so many Christians still under the bondage or in prison to the things of the enemy? Colossians chapter 1, and I'll start from verse 9. I'll read from the New King James Version first. It says, for this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, again, during this uh, um series we've been we've said that when he says since we've heard it it's about their heard it meaning heard of their faith for in god and their love for one another all right so you can read it this way since the day we heard of your faith in god and love for one another we do not cease to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you may walk worthy of the lord fully pleasing him being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy, giving thanks to the father who has qualified us. Everyone say qualified, qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints. Verse 13, um, he has delivered us uh, from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of his son, uh, of the son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sins. Now, verse 15. From verse 15, it says, he is, he talking about Jesus Christ, all right? It says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. For he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Now, we have read a portion of this scripture from the very beginning of this particular series called Reveal, and we're talking about Revelation knowledge. From verse 15 all the way through verse 19, Paul is talking about the preeminence of Jesus Christ. He is talking about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. He's saying that gee, there is nobody on planet Earth, there is nobody in all of the universe, in all of creation, that can stand against or stand before Jesus Christ. He is absolutely set apart from everyone else, he is supreme over all. So he says, there's absolute preeminence with Christ. There's absolute supremacy when it comes to Christ Jesus. There's absolutely no challenge whatsoever. So from verse 15 through verse 19, he talks about the supremacy of Christ. Now going back to verse 9, we've read this prayer that Paul is praying for the church. From verses 9 through 11, he's praying the prayer for revelation knowledge. Everyone say revelation knowledge. So he's praying this over the people and so he starts off by praying revelation knowledge and in the end he talks about the supremacy or the, uh, uh, the, the majestic uh, nature of who Jesus Christ is. But sandwiched between these two things, he talks about certain benefits that belong to the believer. Alright, sandwiched between these two things. So in that, let's go to verse 12 please, verse 12. I'll read this from the New Living Translation this time. In verse 12, he says, Always thanking the Father, he has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. Verse 13, For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. Verse 14, Who has purchased our freedom and forgave our sins who's purchased our freedom and gave, uh, forgave our sins. So three things, three things that amazing benefits for the believer. And if you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, in verse 12, he says, we've been qualified to share in the inheritance that belongs to us. All right? We've been qualified to share in the inheritance that belongs to us. That's the first benefit of every believer. We have been qualified. Now understand that we did not qualify ourselves, but we have been qualified. All right. Number two, it's in verse 13. The second benefit. We have been, the new King James uses the word delivered. NLT uses the word rescued. Okay. So we've been rescued or delivered from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light or to the kingdom of God. Okay. Okay. The first thing is that we have been qualified for the inheritance, right? The second thing is we've been rescued or delivered. We've been rescued or delivered from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God or the kingdom of light. Number three, and that's in verse 14. The third one is that we've been redeemed and forgiven. We've been redeemed and forgiven. Now, redeemed simply means to purchase our freedom, all right? So we have been redeemed and forgiven, redeemed and forgiven, right? These three things are the benefits. Now, when you talk about the word redeemed, I want you to think about the word purchase, right? I want you to think about a payment being made. We have to understand when we're talking about true freedom, freedom that comes from God and God alone, we also have to understand that there was a price that was paid for us. All right? See, we cannot think that the the life that we enjoy in God and the life that we have in God, we should not ever think that it came without a price. Are you understanding that? See, just at one point, India was a free nation. But then there came a point where we were no longer free, right? We were ruled by another nation, by another kingdom. But then there also came a time where our freedom was regained by the Indian people. Are you understanding that? But in order for that freedom to be regained by our people, there had to be a price that was paid. And the Bible says, when it comes to you and I, that we were made in the image and in the likeness of God. That every single one of us, God made us in his image, in his likeness, that he had a plan and purpose for our lives. But then, because we, uh, 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 we, went, we deviated from God's plan for our lives because of disobedience, we now fell under the bondage or under the control or we became slaves to the enemy. We became slaves to the devil. Now, the only way we could truly be set free, okay? And I want you to circle or think, you know, at least circle in your mind if you're not writing this down. But I want you to at least truly understand, in order for you to be truly set free, not religiously set free, in order for you to be truly set free, there had to be a high price that is paid for your freedom and for my freedom. Amen. And that price was paid by Jesus Christ. All right. So when it comes to our freedom, understand that there is always a price that is paid. Now, the, um, I don't know if you, if any of you have seen the movie Saving Private Ryan. Anybody seen that movie? All right. A couple of hands going up. Okay. It, it, it's an old movie. It's, a, it's not a brand new movie, but uh, in this particular movie, in Saving Private Ryan, uh, there's a particular scene in that movie where um, there. are there's a uh, cemetery where you know all these World War II veterans, who, who, or, or not veterans, but people who died have been buried in one place. right? And in that place, there's a man standing all by himself, and he's standing there, he, and, and he's really old in age. And uh, his wife then comes to him, and she doesn't know what's happening on the inside of him. And then he starts to ask her questions like, have I been a good man? Have I been a good husband? You know, and he goes down this list and she doesn't know why he's asking this. But the reason why he asks this is because at one time he was on the battlefield. And when one of his friends was dying, the man says, earn this for me. Earn this for me. Why? Because he knew he would not make, make it back alive to his nation. He knew he was going to die on that land, on that foreign land. And he said, earn this for me. What was he saying? He was saying, there is a price that is being paid for the freedom that many will enjoy. I will not enjoy that freedom, but I am paying a price so that other people can enjoy the freedom. And so what he says is, earn this for me. And so towards the end of his life, as, as a, a, a much older man, he's standing at those tombs. And then he asks his wife, have I been a good man? Why? What is he saying? Did I make the sacrifice worth it? What he was truly saying and asking is Did they pay the price or did I live my life worthy of the price that was paid for my freedom? Are you understanding that? Now, as Christians, we also have to understand that Jesus paid the price for our redemption or for our freedom. The question that we have to ask ourselves is Are we living? A life that is worthy of the price that was paid for our freedom. Are we living a life that, 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 that glorifies the sacrifice that was made for you and for me? Because you can waste away your freedom. How I many of you know that? Right. You can waste away the, the privileges that have been given to you. You can waste away the benefits that have been given to you. But my prayer is today, as eyes are open, that we will no longer be people who will waste away the price that was paid for our freedom by Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, go with me to the book of Acts, please. Acts chapter 26. Now, once again, there's, it's easy for us to, as especially as Christians, to understand and say, yes, Jesus paid the price for my freedom. But however, legally, even though something belongs to you, and I told and, and, and I showed you three things that absolutely belong to you. Number one, that you are qualified for the inheritance. Number two, I said that you, uh, um, what did I say? Yeah, you have been rescued from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Number three, I said your freedom has been purchased and you have also been forgiven of your sins. And the Bible says that that was done by the blood of Jesus. All right, that's how your freedom was purchased. Now, all of this is true, and legally that can be true, but how many of you know? Just because something is true legally does not mean it is true experientially. Right? Something can be very true legally and cannot be, and may not be true experientially. I'll give you an example. All right. Uh, very recently, I had to deal with an issue where a particular piece of property was, uh, 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 the piece of property belonged to me. I had my name on it. All the documents said my name was on it. The only issue is there were other people living in it. How many of you know issues like that? So legally, who does the property belong to? It belongs to me. But yet, I had issues walking into my own property. I had issues walking into my own land. The documents absolutely said that we paid the price for the land. The documents absolutely said that it belongs to me and I should have, and I did have legally every right to own that piece of property, to walk into that piece of property and to do anything that I legally could do in that piece of property. And yet, because someone else occupied that land, even though legally it was mine, experientially it wasn't. Understood? So a lot of times, even in the lives of believers, legally something can be yours. And that does not mean experientially you are actually enjoying the benefits of that. All right. Now go with me to Acts chapter, uh, I said 26, right? Yeah. Go Acts chapter 26. And starting from verse 17. It says, I will deliver you from the Jewish people. This is, talking, uh, this is Jesus talking to the Apostle Paul while, they, while he has this encounter and his uh, conversion story. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send, uh, send you. To open their eyes in order to turn them away from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now, this is exactly what Jesus tells Paul. And in Colossians, that is exactly what Paul is praying for the people. See, Jesus says, I'm sending you so their eyes be open. Paul says, Lord, I am praying that eyes be open. Then he says, in order that they will turn from darkness to light. That's exactly what Paul is praying in Colossians. And then he says, from the power of uh, uh, Satan to God. That's exactly what he's praying. And then he says that they may receive the forgiveness of sins. That's exactly what he prayed. And the inheritance among the saints. That's exactly what Paul prayed. So everything that Paul prays in Colossians is based on direct instructions that he received from Jesus Christ himself. Now, the Thing that I want you to get is this: that Paul is not praying that we will be set free. See John chapter eight, where we first started off. It says, "If the Son sets you free, he is free indeed." So, if you are set free by the Son of God, if you're set free by Jesus, the Bible is saying you are absolutely free indeed. But when Paul is praying this prayer, he is not praying that anybody be set free. You understand that? See, this is why I say, when you're reading the Bible, you have to read it in context and you have to, don't just take a verse and say, oh, see, this is what it says. So now if the sun sets free, see, that's why not everybody is free. That's why I pray for my freedom. That's why I pray that God will somehow, someday take these chains off of my life. Someday God will take me, break me free from this prison. Someday God will give me that breakthrough. Someday God will do some miraculous thing. Someday God will take this bondage over my life. Someday I will break free from this addiction right and we postpone everything into the into the future saying someday god will someday god will someday god will and i as a good christian i'll keep praying that god will one day right sounds good sounds very religious sounds very noble however paul is not praying that prayer so it's jesus who's speaking it's talking about Jesus in John chapter eight. And yet Paul is not praying that kind of prayer. Are you understanding that? See, that's why uh, um, what, what is commonly called as the Lord's prayer, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. You know, a, a, you know everyone knows this prayer. Every uh, um, irreligious, uh, uh, um, non-Christian who's ever been to a convent school or whatever knows that prayer. That prayer. You know, everyone thinks that's the most Christian prayer that you can ever pray. It's not. You never see the disciples pray it. You never see Paul pray it. Jesus taught them how to pray under the old covenant when he taught them that. You never see Paul praying that prayer. So here, John chapter 8, he says, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Paul doesn't say, God, please, Jesus, please, Lord, I know this group of people in Colossia. Jesus, please set them free. That's not what he's praying. Jesus, I know these great people in Ephesus, they just got saved. God, they're doing great. God, God, please, some of them are in bondage. Some of them are in addiction. Some of them have bad habits. God, Jesus, please set them free. That's not what he's praying. What is he praying? Now, the statement in John chapter 8 is absolutely true. I'm not saying it's not. It's absolutely true. But you also have to understand in what time and season we're living in. So it is true. It was true. It is true for that time period and for the people who were living there. So Jesus had not yet died on the cross. So he says, if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. Paul is writing after Jesus went to the cross, after he rose again from the dead. And so now Paul is not praying that we will be set free. He is praying that our eyes be open to the truth that we have been set free. We have been set free. See, if somebody is living in India right now, and if, a, 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 if they're living as a slave, right? If they're living as a servant to a, let's just say, a, 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 a British man. And they're doing so not because they are getting a salary and that's what they want to do, but they are doing it out of the fear because, well, it's the British man and I'm an Indian and I live in subordination to them. How many of you know there is no freedom that needs to be purchased for that man? Why? Because he's living in 2021 and there is no new freedom that needs to be purchased for that man. You know what has to happen to that man? Freedom is not what he needs. Revelation knowledge is what he needs. He needs to know he is already free. He needs to know that if you want to work for this British man or for this British woman, you are free to do so. Make sure you get a good salary and be happy with the job that they they have given you. But if you ever want to walk away from that job, the freedom has already been given to you. Are you understanding that? So new price is not needed. A new price does not have to be paid. Why? Because the price has been paid by brave men and women of this nation so that we may be free today. Well, Paul says in the same way, I am no longer praying that people will be set free. I am praying that people will have revelation knowledge of the freedom that already has been given to them. Go with me to Matthew chapter 13, please. And starting from verse nine, he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now stop there. From verses one through nine, he just finished preaching the parable of the sower. And towards the end of that parable, he says to him that has ears, let him hear. He ends the parable with that statement. Now, I want you to, I'll make this statement, tuck this to the side, and then we'll come back to it. Change takes place, not just based on what is said, but how it is understood. Change takes place, not just based on what is said, but how it is understood by the hearer. See, every time Jesus stood up, every time Jesus was speaking, he was the word made flesh. Understand? He was the man that was speaking. In him was life. In him was freedom. In him was healing. In him was redemption. In him was resurrection. Everything that everyone ever needed was in him. And he was speaking. But yet, everyone did not receive. See, that's why he finished the parable of the sword. And then he says to him that has ears let him hear. Why? Because if you can understand what I'm saying, he says, then you will receive the things that I am giving you as I speak these things. Verse 10 says this, and the disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? He answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, it has not been given. Now, when you read that, that almost sounds cruel, doesn't it? Like for some of you, it has been given to know, but for them, it is not. So I'm speaking in code and like I've already decided who's supposed to get this, who's supposed to not get this. That's how I used to think of like, like, Jesus, why? Why would you say something like that? Why can't you make it plain for everybody? Right? Verse 12, he says, for whoever has to him, more will be given and, uh, and he will have an abundance. And for whoever does not have, even the little that he does have will be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to you, speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, and nor do they understand. Again, it sounds very cruel. But look at what it says in verse 14. And in them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing they will hear and shall not understand, and seeing they will see and not perceive. For their hearts, uh, for the hearts of the people have grown dull. See, verse 15 gives you the explanation of why. Seeing they will not see, hearing they will not hear, nor their hearts will perceive what he is speaking. It will not happen because or for the hearts of the people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. Their eyes, they, they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. So what's happening here? He's saying that the reason why some people get it is because their eyes are open, their ears are open, their hearts are ready to receive. The reason some people don't get it is because he says they have become dull to the things of God. In other words, they neglect the things of God. They put them aside. They think that the things of God is only a sideshow in their life. It's only when they're in trouble. It's only when there is a prayer request. It's only when there is an absolute need in their life that God becomes the center of their lives. That every other time, and so what happens is they become dull. It's like the person who wants to work out and get on a crash diet because some special event is coming up but for the rest of their year for the rest of their life diet is not something that they even think about they never even think about what they eat or what they uh, 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 whether their bodies are getting any kind of exercise none of those things matter to them but oh the summer is coming up oh the wedding is coming up oh my cousin is getting married oh i need to look good in this dress i need to look good in that and so now crash diet right so what happens they have that that's an example of a person who is dull to their personal habits and personal health or personal lifestyle they're dull to that they only it only becomes important in the time of need making sense right so that person when you talk about micronutrients macronutrients carbohydrates and and protein and you talk about uh, taking a uh, intermittent fasting and things like that w- w- hearing they will not hear making sense hearing they will not hear Because they sit there, they they can listen to a lecture on what protein does and what carbohydrates does and what sugar does to their body. Hearing, they will not hear. Why? Because they're dull to those things. It's only important when it's emergency time. And so in the same way, what Jesus is saying is they've become dull to the things of God. And because they've become dull to the things of God, yes, they may come to church. Yes, they may show up on Easter. Yes, they may show up when when it's baby dedication time. Yes, they may show up when somebody is getting baptized. Yes, they might show up on Christmas Day. And yes, they will show up on 31st night of December because they need to get the promise card for the year. And that's it. So what happens? They become dull to the things of God. So what happens is seeing they will not see, hearing they will not hear, and their hearts will not perceive and understand the things that God has given to them. And so what happens is the freedom has been purchased. The price has been paid. The heavy price of the blood of Jesus was paid. And yet we sit and we still experience bondage from the enemy. We still are imprisoned to the chains of the enemy. Why? Because we have no revelation of the price that was paid and the freedom that has been purchased for us by Jesus. For us by Jesus. If you understand that, say amen. All right, go with me. See, but, but then it says in verse 15, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. What's happening? He's saying, but if they, if they can only open their eyes to see, if they can only open their ears to hear, if they can only perceive in their heart the things that I have for them, they will be healed. They will be blessed they will be restored. Their chains will be broken. They will walk away from that jail. They will walk away from that addiction. They will walk away from that bondage. Why? If their eyes are open, ears are open, hearts perceive. It's not something decided by God for us. It is something that we have to open ourselves to the things that God has decided for us and what he has decided for us is not bondage, but it is absolute and true freedom in him. Are you understanding that? That's what he has decided for us. But our eyes have to be open to see that. Our ears have, been, have to be open. Now, write this down. In other words, the internal work determines the external manifestation. The internal work of God, the internal seed of the word of God, determines the external manifestation on the outside. That's why the kingdom of God is always... It starts from within. It starts from the inside out. It doesn't start from outside practices. The the way you become a Christian is not by attending church. The way you become a Christian is not by reading more of the Bible. The way you become a Christian is not by giving more to the church. That's not how you become a Christian. It starts where? Internally. See, everything else starts externally. You know, you want to master uh, uh, karate? Then what? You master everything externally first, and then internally, then people will say, okay, that guy, he's a master at that. But when it comes to the things of God, he says, no, it starts off internally. You become a child of God. You receive your new identity. Then out of what has happened internally, out of your spirit, everything else flows. The external manifestation begins to take place. See, freedom True freedom that comes from Christ begins on the inside. It's an inside job. It begins on the inside. Go with me to Romans chapter 12, please. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. It says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, two words that I want you to pay attention to is conformed and transformed conformed and transformed. What's the difference between confirmation or or, or being conformed and transformation? All right. Now, conformed means to change. If you can put that, please. Conformed means to change from the outside in. Right. To change from the outside in. So for example, I've got a bottle of water here. So what happens? There's the shape of the bottle. And because of the shape of the bottle, once I put the water, the water conforms to the shape of the bottle, right? But now I don't have a glass here, but if I take a glass or a big jar and I pour this water into a jar, the water conforms to the shape of the jar. So in other words, what Paul is saying here is, he says, do not be conformed to the world. Do not be conformed to the patterns or the culture in which you live. So whether you live in the U.S., whether you live on an island, whether you live in India, whether you live in, uh, you know, North India, South India, East, West, wherever. He says, one thing is absolutely certain that everyone should understand is, wherever you live, do not be conformed to that pattern of living. Do not be conformed to that pattern of Living. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Everyone say transformed. Now, what's what's the difference between being conformed and transformed? Being conformed is change from the outside in. Transformation is change from the inside out. It's change from the inside out. It starts from the inside, it manifests on the outside. Starts from the inside, manifests on the outside. So he says, Paul says, for every believer, understand this, don't be conformed to this world. The patterns of thinking, the way they live their lives, the way they are bound to certain things, just because someone else is bound does not mean you and I have to be bound. So he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Again, he says, he he doesn't say be transformed by doing a bunch of things. He says, just be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which is once again, an internal job, not an external thing. It's an internal issue. So he says, be transformed by changing the way you think. Well, what should I think in line with? You should be thinking in line with what Jesus has already done for you. That's the job of the believer is to constantly reshape and mold our minds, mold our patterns of thinking in according to what Christ has done for us, according to what Christ has done for us, right? So he says, do not be conformed, but be transformed. So when it comes to freedom, a lot of people, what we do is we pray to God and say, God, give me freedom. That's like a person, let, let, let's just say I've, I've got handcuffs. And if I have handcuffs, that's like a person trying to break the handcuffs. Now, How many of you know, there are not many people who, can, who have the strength to just break handcuffs. And so what we're doing is when we pray, we're like those people who are desperately trying to Be free. And we're saying, God, just uh, do this. And we're just, "Mm." and we get tired after a while. And one of the things that happens in the life of a believer is they "Mm," do that long enough and they finally give up. And all of this. trying to change from the outside in but at the same time a person can try to break free all their life and another person understands wait a minute the price has been paid which means I can go free so now the information that they've got they receive that information they know something internally now They can walk up to the person that has the keys and say, I'm so-and-so, and and based on so-and-so, and based on what they've told me, and based according to this law, or based on what took place last night, based on what happened this morning, whatever, I am set free. And they'll check what they need to check, and there's no more fight. Because what they know on the inside is much more powerful than any handcuffs. See, your, your, your body is not strong enough to break free. But the information that you know is strong enough to set you free. See, that's why Paul says, let their eyes be opened." He says, if their eyes are open, they will know they don't have to fight this. Our fight is not in the flesh. For our weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. So it's an internal job. So he says, I pray that they will have revelation knowledge that they have been qualified. Qualified for what? The inheritance that comes from Jesus. If I'm qualified, I no longer have to strive to be qualified because I am qualified. What's the inheritance that comes from Jesus? What's the other benefit that comes from Jesus? I have been transferred or translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. So I'm no longer striving to get into a good relationship with God. I'm no longer striving to get on God's good side. I am in God's good side. I am the righteousness of God because of the price that was paid for me. Are you understanding that? So number one, I have the inheritance and I'm a partaker of the inheritance. Number two, I've been translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And number three, I have been purchased, redeemed, is the word Bible uses, or many of the translations use. I have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. By the blood of Jesus. Now. The the way the Bible talks about this, you know, when somebody is in jail, you can pay the bail and they can get temporary freedom. That's not the kind of price that was paid for us. See, when a person gets bail, that does not mean they're forever set free. Neither does it mean on the record that they are free of what they've been accused of. The price that was paid by Jesus says that we are guiltless faultless so this is not temporary freedom this is not okay I paid the bail for one week now come out and do whatever you need to do because they're coming back to take you back in that's not the price that was paid for us the price that was paid for us was something a price that it was by the blood of Jesus that lets us know that we have been forever set free guiltless spotless guiltless and spotless and now once you have revelation knowledge of that once you know that you know that you know that you know that i have an inheritance in god and i'm a partaker of that inheritance and number two that i have already been translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light and my freedom has been purchased now you don't have to be conformed to this world but you will be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Which means, once again, internally, I've got to make sure that this conformity, that the world is constantly trying to mold you. The world is constantly trying to shape you and conform you to its patterns of thinking. And you're saying, no, 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 it's not going to happen from the outside in. It's going to happen from the inside out. I'm not going to live my life from the outside in. I am going to live my life from the inside out. From the inside out. So the Bible says, see the patterns of the world, they say, based on this, this is how you need to live. Based on this, this is how you need to think. And it's all on the outside. The Bible says, the way you have to live from the inside out is by looking into the word of God. He says, just like you look and trust yourself by looking at the mirror on how you look. He says, look into the word of God and understand that that's who you are in the spirit. That's who you are in the spirit. So from that point, even if everyone, think about 1947. Can you imagine What it was like when the news was first being broken out, saying that we are a free nation? That we are a free nation? The few people that first knew that they're free, and the majority did not know that they were free. Can you imagine what it was like? Because everyone else says, no, 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 no. Hey, hey, we're not free. We're not free. We're not free. We're not free. Legally, they were. Can you imagine how much time it must have taken for everyone to truly believe, wait a minute, we are free. Can you imagine that? And there absolutely had to be a a pressure to conform to thinking we're not free. Why? Because the majority are saying we're not free. But there were certain people who knew that they were indeed free. And see, once you have revelation knowledge, it doesn't matter what anybody else says on the outside. You will know that you are indeed free. Go with me to John chapter 11, please. John chapter 11. This is what happens in the lives of many people. This is. Uh, um, when Lazarus dies in John chapter 11, and let's pick up at verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now think about who who Martha is talking to. Martha is talking to Jesus. She believes that he is the Messiah. See, that's why in in Matthew chapter, I forget the chapter where we looked at when he was talking about the parable of the sower. He says, to him that has ears to hear, let him hear. So Martha heard certain things from the mouth of Jesus and about Jesus as well. And when she heard about the resurrection, now that the brother is dead and he's stinking in the grave, she's conformed to the patterns of the world and she says yeah yeah yeah." Jesus comes and she says yeah yeah I I already know about the resurrection you don't have to lecture me on that I know it right now I'm just upset you didn't show up on time Jesus I don't want another message right now I know he'll come back to life resurrection day future I know I know so that's why he says to him that has ears let him hear The problem was she heard about the resurrection. The problem was, it was still good news, but the problem was she was pushing into the future what she could be experiencing in the present. So she stands in front of Jesus and she says, I know. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the light. See, she only looked at Jesus as, yeah, Jesus, I know through you, we will have the resurrection. See, here's something you need to get. Some of you think, I know through Jesus, I can get freedom. You get that? You think Jesus is is the means to the goal. You're getting that? You think, okay, the treasure is in that box. Jesus is just the key. So I'll use the key. Unlock. Ah, I got the treasure. I got the gold. And we forget He is the key. He is the treasure. You getting that? She thought, yeah, I'll, I'll get to the day of resurrection, Jesus. I know, I've heard it. And Jesus, in that moment, he says, it's not that you will. He says, I am. When Moses met God, God says, I am that I am. See, your highest dream, your highest aspiration, it absolutely cannot be higher than God. No, I, I know you're like in your mind, it's higher. In your mind, it's greater than God's plan for you. In your mind, it's like, no, 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 Jesus. I got a better idea. In, that's why we read what we read about Christ. He is supreme over all. He is preeminent. The Bible says, by him, all things were made that were made and they were made for him. He upholds all things. Now he says, that life I have come to give you and I have come for you. See, what I'm trying to express is there is absolutely no goal, no desire, no nothing that you can come up with in your life that can go higher than God, that can go higher than Jesus. In Him is life. In Him is, it's not like through Jesus I'll get to the joy. Through Jesus I'll get to the, pe- He is peace. If I have Jesus, I'll have fulfillment. No, no, no. It's not through Jesus I'll have. He is fulfillment. Through Jesus, I'll get to my destiny. Jesus is your destiny. He is all. He is supreme. And so she says, I know about the resurrection. In verse 25, he says, but Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Why? Because I am the resurrection and I am here. And I am here. So for every situation we're dealing with, every chain that needs to be broken or every prison that you need to break out of, every bondage that you need to be set free from, understand the price has been paid and freedom is here. Freedom is here. Jesus is alive. He is well. He is here. And He's paid the price for you and for me. Amen. And as we think on these things, as we meditate on these things, my prayer is that you will walk in true freedom like never before. That as you think on the things of God, as you think about what price was paid for you by Jesus Christ, that this week, today, that your eyes will continue to be open and that you will experience the benefits that God has come to give us through Christ Jesus. Amen.